Welcome to Under the Blanket with your host, Bobby here, love. And we are under Mirage's blanket in deep in his heart, where we see, as he would say, sub X, all is one or it's all one. You know the deal. Anyway, so your whole life has been leading up to this show, listener. This is the moment. This is the here and now. And I have a guest with me today, the first time on the show, James Cox. And he's from the podcast, Human Insights with James Cox. Hey. And uh, say hello, James. How you doing? All right. So um, let's start out the show with, you know, uh, James Cox is a Ram Dass devotee. So maybe you could talk about, you know, how you came into that. How did you start on this? as they call it, spiritual path or awakening path or the journey, you know, that sort of thing. So tell us about that. Um, I would honestly say that the, uh, the journey started, I guess, when I was in my 20s, though I didn't know it at the time. Um, you know, back then, I... Um, We had gone to Sunday school, I guess, and uh, really didn't have any real defined kind of perception of religion or I would even say values or anything in terms of, you know, spirituality even, um, even going into uh, college. Uh, when I got to college, I ended up taking a course called uh, Christ and Confucius. And in the course, there was a uh, book by Elaine Pagels called The Gnostic Gospels. And in the book, she talks about this group of um, Christians called the Gnostics, uh, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, um, that kind of arose, I guess, in the century or two after um, Jesus's time and they took a more individualistic view of spirituality. Um, it fit in line with, with Christ's view, but with the development of the physical church, they ended up being persecuted and basically wiped out. Um, but their view of spirituality being, you know, God being within you, you being, you basically being God on earth, um, a temple, a very much a kind of one-on-one -on -one relationship, I really related to. And I would say that I, like, after that kind of, um, realization, I guess, just in terms of, ah, you know, that's pretty cool. I then looked around at like, you know, all the other religions to try to figure out where I fit in. This was probably in my early 20s after college. And I just really didn't feel like I, I fit in anywhere. So this Gnostic view really kind of stayed in the back of my head through almost all my life. And, you know, there's really no active gnostic churches um so you know it was really just my own my own belief i felt and i was fine with that 
And until I met um, my spouse, now Betsy, and she, when we had met, she had just got back from a Ramdas retreat, and um, she had said uh, at that time, you know, she's going to go back next year. I'm like, well, you know, we had really struck, hit it off, and I'm like, well, if you're going, I'm going with you. Um, and she's like, well, you don't know anything about it. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, we'll see. And so the next year, we ended up going to the Ramdas retreat. And this is probably about seven years ago, eight years ago, I guess. And um, when I I had listened to a lot of the Ramdas um on uh, tape, on CD, I forget what the, uh, the the discs were called, but it was kind of an eight-disc um, set of lectures that Ramdas gave, and I pretty much listened to those nonstop in my car when I had a CD player. So I had a little bit of knowledge beforehand, and it all really made sense. But when I got to Maui, and I was at the retreat, and... In the literally in the middle of the first program, I was like, I'm home. Like, I knew that this is where I belonged. And literally everything that I did up until then, in terms of, like, spirituality being a personal revelatory experience, it all made sense. And it's kind of funny because, you know, Ramda says in, um, there's a piece, there's a, there's a YouTube video uh, of Ramdas in 1985 in New York City, and he says, um, "You know, isn't it funny that we all come here by by no one path? And in the 60s, we thought that there was a path, but it, in the 80s and on beyond, you, we realized that there really isn't any one path. We all get here by a different path, and I think that that's so true. Um, and I think that." You know, once you kind of embrace that, um, it really opens up a lot of doors. Yeah, it, 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 that's it's interesting how you know so many people in the into Ramdas these days. Like, it reminds me of that story where he talks about cro crochet. You know, you exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Actually, uh, for the uh, retreat when we went back, we actually. We made it. We made a T-shirt for Betsy, and uh, it had a picture of a crocheted heart on it. And uh, on the back, it said "I crochet." And uh, when she went up to see Ramdas, he saw it and he started laughing. He thought it was so funny. But uh, yeah, we love that one. Yeah, because it is uh, amazing how uh, you know something as simple as crocheting can get you into states like psychedelics or like meditation. Uh, just as intense, just as amazing, uh, all kinds of different states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that's what I always liked about Ram Dass. I don't know about you, but that he, uh, he, he's very respectful of all the different methods, even though we're eventually going to the same mountaintop, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because like, I could never get in. I've never, I've literally never done drugs. So I've, I, uh, I wouldn't know what that aspect of an experience was anyway, but um, I would say that when I was at the retreat, we would 
in the mornings, uh, Ramshwar Das um, always did um, meditations. And, like, the first year I was like, there is no way in hell I'm getting up at, like, 5 a.m. to go meditate. I'm like, I'm like, I just know I wouldn't stay awake. And the second year, I was like, oh, you know what, I, I'll give it a shot. And the very first time, it was like, it must be what, like, an acid trip would be. I mean, you were just, it felt like you were on a roller coaster ride through your mind. And, um, you know, from that, I, I feel like I meditate several times a day. And it, like, really, it really helps in terms of just feeling more at peace. And, you know, more focused, I guess. Well, yeah, I relate with that because my, well, you know, I have much experience in psychedelics, but uh, when I went to the Ramdash tree, uh, one plant, I wasn't on any psychedelics, but the experience was uh, the same. It felt mm-hmm. like the whole week I was there, and it was in Texas, the whole week I was there, it was almost consistently a peaking feeling that I would get from psychedelics from the meditation from especially one time from the curtain where Chris mm-hmm. uh, came and I started laughing into this pillow and I couldn't stop laughing it's kind of like the, the, some people get that from shrooms they just can't stop laughing and I was just couldn't stop laughing from just the singing of the songs and the, the one pointedness of mind on God and I, I couldn't stop and then everybody was leaving and and these people are standing around me, and they're like, he's still laughing. And Krishadas walked by, and he's like, oh, that happened all the time around Miraji in the 70s. Don't worry yeah. about it. Just make sure <laughs> he gets to his room. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think it's interesting. Like, I, w- I would consider us, like, kind of like the Gnostics. Like, we're first or second generation devotees, right? Like, we, we I don't know about you, but I wasn't. I wasn't in India, and I can't imagine that I'm going to go to India, but, um, you know, we're kind of getting it secondhand, uh, you know, either through Ram Dass or through listening or watching him, so it's... Yeah, it's a way to look at it. I mean, K.K. Sa, who was, a, who was around Miraji a lot, um, he said that the people that had to see Miraji in person their faith wasn't as pure as the people that were say secondhand, like you said, because we only read a book or met Ram Dass or went to a retreat. We never met this blanket guy and, you know, but yet here we are having a relationship with this inner guru. And I mm-hmm. think that takes a lot more purity. That's what KK says, more, more faith perhaps than, than to see the person, have them read your mind and all that type of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but it, again, once you kind of dive underneath the water, so to speak, and you start having, you know, miracles happen, you know, almost in in daily life, then it's you kind of recognize that we're really living simultaneously on two planes. Yeah, and the miracles can ha- just because Miraji is not in his body, the miracles happen. I'll give you an example. You might be able to relate with this. I was going to the store, and you know how Mirage used to throw bananas or fruit at devotees? Mm -hmm. I was going into the, it's called the Wawa, it's in New Jersey, and I'm buying a green tea and a granola bar, and all of a sudden, on the screen, shows up that I did not pay for, 
or did not he did not scan all show and it, I guess he would see it as a computer error. A banana shows up and the price changes, and I'm like, whoa, what? That's Mirage. He's throwing a banana at me. <laughs> as soon as I realized that, it disappeared. And the guy just thought it was some computer error, I guess. But mm-hmm. there it was. And, you know, little things like that, I think, is uh, part of his Leela. Even though he's not in his body, he can uh, do little miracles like that, you know. Yeah, and I think that, that happens all the time. You know, there's little things that are little reminders to kind of keep you um, aware of that kind of relationship to something higher. Yeah, like, could you give me an example of something like, that happened to you that reminds you of that um so <laughs> when the first time when we were in uh when we were in maui at the uh at the conference with uh ramdas at the very end of the retreat um betsy and i were walking along the beach um of the resort and to to describe it the sand there actually has, they have no shells, no shells and really nothing other than sand. It, it's really a, a plain beach, you know, there's, there's nothing else there. And the waves were rolling up and um, as we were walking, it was the last day of the, the retreat and Betsy was thinking um, and she said it out loud. She says, you know, this is my family. This is who I'm supposed to be with. And just as background, she her her own family is very dysfunctional. I would even say that it's it's not a family. But um, you know, she finally found a family and family love. And at that very instant, this wave rolled up and it rolled past me, and then at her foot, it dropped a red heart, a red piece of sea glass in the shape of a heart. And it was like, literally, she reached down and picked it up. She actually, when she was younger, when she was a kid, she always walked the beach in New Jersey looking for sea glass. And so it was like almost an instantaneous recognition of, ah, that's the correct thought. Like, I mean, imagine what had to go in for the through the universe working of all the years of shaping and forming this piece of sea glass to then drop in that instant when she thought that to drop in the shape of a heart a red heart i mean it's yeah. it's insane on the face of it but then it, it really is a miracle and what's interesting is now we see hearts all the time when whenever we think something that is is relevant or I guess spiritual or loving or Maharaji or Ramdas, whoever it is, is saying, yes, that's correct. Like we'll see a heart, whether it's in the shape of a cloud as a heart or on the sidewalk in a puddle or, you know, uh, just rocks. Um, They're everywhere. And it all stems from that first experience of saying of Maharaji basically saying yes that's the correct mindset that's the correct thought but yeah. we we literally see them all the time well it's like it says in be here now when you stand back far enough you could see it's a fully determined process no miracles no accidents just 
you know, it's all connected the karmically uh, perfect sort of pattern. And that pattern of the heart is part of that, you know? Yep. Yeah. So um, I, I wonder if you could maybe speak to this. Now, I, I have uh, no one, like I live in South Jersey and like they have churches around here. They have even a Hindu temple, uh, but I, it's not feasible. I don't have a car for me to get there and that kind of thing. And so there's no really like, that saying around here but i found that through the internet i've connected with a lot of miraji devotees and i have like long conversations with them i have them on my podcast all that kind of stuff and it's been just just what i need so maybe speak to that maybe there's a listener out there that struggles with community you know Mm. yeah i think that you know i think the essence is really to tell stories and share stories and to be accepting of the fact that I think everybody's experience, spiritual experience is, is unique. And that's kind of the, the divineness of it. Like we're all individuals and we all wear, we're all here to take different curriculums. We're all going through the same school, but we're taking a different curriculum. And so the, the kind of ways that it gets spirituality gets manifested is going to be different for each of us. And it's, you know, I don't think it's necessarily about being jealous of, Oh, somebody, this other person has this kind of an experience. Why can't I have that experience? I think if you look within yourself, you'll be just amazed at what you find within your own, your own uh, experiences. And, you know, I, I really think that, you know, we really are all, you know, lack of a better expression, gods. You know, we're, we're literally gods walking the earth with superpowers that, you know, society really tells us needs to be um, dismissed or discounted and in a way that's to keep us powerless and divided and, you know, smaller than we really should be. But I think when we talk to each other and when we listen with our hearts, you know, we can really be so much more, um, you know, and, and the amazing thing about Ramdas is, is the kind of, the kind of teacher that he became because when he started teaching, when he was doing his uh, psychology teaching at like Harvard and um, Stanford and so forth, he would literally work himself before he would go into a, into a a classroom, he would work himself up to like literally getting sick and throwing up from the stress of it. And then when you like fast forward to like the seventies and the eighties and just listening to him, like the way that he is able to convey such complex ideas, even at the end of his life, I mean, it was just a blessing to listen to him at the depth of, of insight that he could pull out of the ether and put together for people. And you know, we can really learn a lot from what's been recorded and what's been passed down as really a legacy. But ultimately, we all have something to add to that and something to share for that. 
Yeah, um, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, before, right after Ram Dass died, um, but left his body, uh, I had a dream about him where I, he met on the astral plane. We met and we talked for like three hours and I can't remember any of it except this. He said, carry on the message of be here now. The You know, it's in the book, be here now. And that sort of part of the Ram Dass teaching, that's the one. I've always been most drawn to be here now and following that specific book as my path. That's like my Bible. And mm-hmm. what I found was, um, you know, I am able to carry on, not most of all by just being here now, but also by, you know, sharing on the Internet, social media, doing my spiritual advising work, um, reading. I read Be Here Now Live on Facebook or I'll, everything's related to the lineage. Like we're in this lineage of Hanuman, then Miraji, then Ramdas, then uh, the Satsang, you know? Yep. Yep. No, I do. I do. We, um, I would say that I chant, we chant almost every day. Um, I mean, that I think has been a, a practice that has been very, uh, focusing as well. Um, you know, I would definitely say that, you know, before I didn't, before knowing anything about this, I wouldn't, never would have done anything like that. So. Yeah, I, I, I do the Chalisa every morning. And, and also, um, I recommend to anyone listening out there, the guided, Ramdas guided meditation library. I do many, several times a day. This one called Yes yeah, it's 10 minutes long, and you could do it at different sporadic times if you're able to, or a couple times a day, whatever. It's just the one I just am drawn to, and there's lots of different other ones that are there. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's a, a mindfulness meditation where you just be, and whatever arises in the moment, you allow it to be, and you be with it. And, you know, it's transformative. Even though I've been practicing, I read Be Here Now in 2000 one so i've been doing a lot of practicing i'm 38 now and uh but still i mean i'm just it's 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 a lifelong lifetimes long journey you know yeah yeah and uh what's interesting i think is how so many younger people are a lot more um enlightened than i was at that age and you know i think that there's um, you know, I actually, I don't know if you know, um, what's his name? Joe, Joe and Emmanuel. Um, anyway, I, I, Ram Dass has a friend called Emmanuel. Basically he's yeah, a, yeah, I know Emmanuel. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, Emmanuel. So I interviewed Emmanuel for, uh, my podcast. And one of the things that Emmanuel said was, um, we were actually talking about climate change and, you know, one of the things that he said is we live in an age of choice and, you know, you have a choice to go towards light or towards darkness. And, you know, one of the things that I think is refreshing, especially, you know, given our current environment is how many people are actually not just young people, but people in general are moving more, moving more and more towards light towards spirituality towards um you know trying to build community so all those are positive 
manifestations of that. Yeah, I talked to Ram Das on Skype once about this issue of the future of the planet, climate change, are we going to have some sort of awakening? And Because uh, he never talks about that, really, in any of his lectures. Well, he mm. does mention that he doesn't know. He always yeah. he said he didn't know in some of his lectures. And it's not important, just be here now, sort of that sort of thing. But I was like, come on, you're not on your lecture now. You're just talking to me privately. I want to know what you think about it. And I was like, you know, edgy, like uh, insisting he share about it. So he said, from his perspective, there's po- back then, this was 2014, 2013, I don't know, something like that. So he was saying there are pockets of awakening uh, across the planet, little areas, little p- people here, maybe some people here, some people in this area, whatever. There are little pockets. And that he felt eventually that would reach like a culmination uh, uh, that affected the entire planet of consciousness, that the consciousness of the planet would awaken. That's how he saw it. And he, he saw it as, uh, and I was like, well, what, how will we know it's happening? He says, once you see borders dissolve and countries dissolve, then you'll know it's happening. And look what this climate, even though it's, it, what's happening now is terrible and all this stuff, that the fact is the Paris Climate Agreement is like a kind of cooperation of almost every nation on the world. Who knows, even in like 20, 30 years, we could have no nations. It could just all be this global cooperation where we have like, where we take care of our planet, we take care of all the people, and we sort of have some sort of cooperative system rather than capitalism, but not any ism, but because it's based in consciousness, like Ram Dass was saying, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. how I interpret of what he told me. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely think we're in for some changes. I don't think it's going to be, uh, I definitely don't think it's going to be smooth. I think it'll, uh, get ugly sooner rather than later. And I would say, uh, you know, things are going to change radically within the next 10 years. I don't think it's, this is something like a hundred years out. I think we're seeing the changes now. So well, what would Viraji say? He would say, Ram Dass, don't you see? It's all perfect. It's all perfect. Yeah, and that's true. And so all you have to do is figure out how you, what you are going to do in that situation. And just kind of, uh, as long as you're doing the right thing and the person next to you is doing the right thing, then, you know, it's going to, you know that you're building up the karma that's going to be the positive karma. So, um, you know, that's, that's all we have to worry about. All right. So we're reaching the near the end of the show. So tell us about your podcast, uh, plug it a little bit. How about that? Um, so the podcast, it's called, um, human insights with James Cox. It's on, uh, anchor, but also on Spotify, Apple podcast, overcast and, different platforms. Um, and basically what I do is I, I've done it for, I guess about two or three years. Um, and what I do is I interview people about subjects diverse from anything regarding, uh, climate change, artificial intelligence, human trafficking, spirituality, diet, um, veganism. Um, so it's a lot of different, um, 
conversations with the idea of being able to get a more complete view of the world that we live in and also what we can do. So. All right. Well, thank you, James. This has been Under the Blanket with your host, Baba Here Love. I thank you all, and I thank you, James. Um, let, so let's just settle into this moment and remember be here now. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. Ram, ram. Ram, ram.